architect Christopher Alexander traveled the Silk Road for seven years to explore the ancient art and craft of carpet making. Along the way, he spent time with women who create the distinctive embroideries Central Asia is known for. He writes, The Suzani, from the Persian word Suza, meaning needle, hung among many in the Amir's summer palace. Peacocks had once roamed the palace gardens while the Amir watched his harem frolic in an outdoor pool. This particular Suzani contained a solid burst of color and embroidery emanating from a central medallion and surrounded by curling fronds and blooms of lotus and peony blossoms. For the casual observer, the piece was impressive, though purely decorative. But there was more to it. Samovar and teapot motifs representing hospitality radiated like spokes from the medallion center, as did water jugs representing purity. Abstract birds flitted around the border, able to cross over from the spirit world. Rows of ram-horn motifs, potent symbols of strength, were embroidered to ward off the evil eye. There were other motifs, their original meaning lost. More recognizable were the peacock feather eyes embroidered in each corner. These were particularly apt, for like the feathers of a peacock, the beauty of this Suzani was also designed to attract a mate. An anonymous embroiderer, a sequestered beauty of 15 or 16, had lovingly worked on this piece. No suitor would ever glimpse her beauty. This privilege was reserved for the wedding night. Instead, potential husbands would content themselves with the beauty of the Suzani. A glance was enough for a young man to ascertain that this was the work of a well-bred young lady, her time devoted to embroidery, not menial household chores. The intricacy of her stitches spoke of patience. The ambitious size spoke of endurance. And the symbols within promised a wife, pure, hospitable, spiritual, and hard-working, qualities eagerly sought after in young women and often sadly lacking in the suitors themselves. The sheer number and quality of Suzani's in the young girl's bridal trousseau reminded any potential match that they were marrying into an extended family of useful connections. It was impossible for one embroiderer to complete an entire trousseau, so an army of female relatives was enlisted First, our embroiderer's grandmother, as tradition demanded, drew out the design. The strips of loosely stitched cotton were then pulled apart and parceled out. Each woman stitched with a different tension, and the reassembled Suzani often contained mismatched colors and disjointed patterns along the seams. There were other imperfections, too. A Suzani was never finished a leaf or flower left untouched, for completion meant the embroiderer could now depart this life. Also, attempts at perfection might rouse jealousy in the evil eye or even the Almighty himself, for surely God alone is perfect. Despite the help of female relatives, a trousseau still took many months, if not years, to complete. It included larger Suzanis for wall hangings a lavish Suzani for the bridal bed, a Suzani prayer mat, an archway facing Mecca. 
Smaller Suzanis were made for wrapping stacks of freshly baked bread and gifts, larger ones for food cloths and a special cradle covering, rich in symbols to ward away evil in hopeful anticipation of many children. Had this particular Suzani wooed a good husband, or was it squirreled away by a bitter and disillusioned bride, a painful memory of her embroidered hopes and dreams? That from a carpet ride to Chava, seven years on the Silk Road, by architect Christopher Alexander. Alexander telling the story of a Central Asian kinship network with cultural meaning, creating bonds among women in a highly structured society. We have a chance to view beautiful pieces of Suzani embroidery from Central Asia, textiles from Japan and Lancaster County too, all part of an exhibition titled Sleep Tight at the Allentown Art Museum. And though the focus of the show is not necessarily the relationship of women to the textile arts, we will get to consider quilts from G's Bend, Alabama, where the women became recognized for their remarkable distinctive work, which has led to a transformation in self-image. Now many of them consider themselves to be artists. This is all by way of suggesting how rich and complex the conversation about textiles can be, especially when the field of vision is worldwide. The textile collection of the Allentown Art Museum is distinguished by any standard, and Sleep Tight contains pieces from the Silk Road, the Far East, and as we said, our own backyard. The G's Bend quilts are part of an exhibit running concurrently at the museum, Roots, Sources for American Art and Design. Claire McCree is assistant curator at the Allentown Art Museum, and we had a chance to speak with her by phone about the collection and about what's on display into September. Our textile collection is quite large. We have about 8,000 works, and it's unusual for a museum of our size to have such a globally diverse collection. We really have textiles that reflect traditions from, from all around the world and mostly from the 1700s to the present. And so it's just really exciting to, to have this amazing resource in our area and, and with the exhibitions this season in particular to be able to, to be sharing that with the public. And we start by acknowledging that there is a real need to treat these textiles tenderly. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. And that creates some unique challenges with doing an exhibition like this one in terms of the non-standard sizes of textiles. You know, often prints and photographs are based on paper sizes and so tend to be pretty standard. We have a frame that fits them, that kind of thing, versus textiles. We really have to customize a lot of the mounts. And for some of the textiles in this exhibition, just because they're fragile, they're delicate, we've added slanted mounts in addition that just help to reduce stress on the textiles. And so being able to assess that as well as the lighting levels, you'll notice if you visit the show, and I hope you'll be able to, that we keep the lights pretty low. And that's because light also can degrade textiles over time. So we're using, you know, a moderate lighting level to help avoid that. Well, our listeners might think perhaps of tapestries, the bio-tapestries and things as works of art, 
But what you're showing us is that, in fact, the quilts that people create and the way people have, over the years, dressed the places where they sleep are every bit as much works of art in all cultures. Absolutely. Yeah, I think this is something that's becoming more common in scholarly fields to be able to consider not just art, fine art as significant cultural production, but also look at how there's really a lot of political, social, cultural meaning embedded in just the objects that people use in their daily lives. And so, yeah, so this exhibition kind of challenges our assumptions, the way we normally think about bed covers and textiles from our own perspective, living in the 21st century in the United States, and that these are plentiful and affordable and inexpensive. And so, you know, really asks us to reconsider that and step into the shoes of different cultural traditions, many of them from the past, a lot of them before the Industrial Revolution or in kind of a transitional period, and just thinking about how textiles have different values, the amount of labor and energy and effort that were dedicated to creating and adorning and also preserving and maintaining these textiles both the economic value as well as the kind of the personal and emotional values of these is just so different from what we think of today. One of the first things we might think about is is quilts. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in this area, of course, there's so much history and so many quilters who are still practicing today. And so, so quilts are definitely have a strong presence in the exhibition. And so many of them are Pennsylvania German, The exhibition, actually, one of the sections is focused around the idea of inventing and adapting traditions, and so it looks at the Pennsylvania Germans as kind of a case study where Germans didn't actually have a tradition of quilting, and so when they came to Pennsylvania, that wasn't something that they were doing. That was actually an English tradition, and they started quilting, you know, they picked up this tradition from English immigrants and adopted it and made it their own. And so Pennsylvania Germans, even though they're very associated with quilting in this region, you know, it's really a tradition that they decided to have and make their own. And so it's just really interesting to think about the factors that create cultural traditions and how traditions grow and change, but are still, you know, rich and vibrant practices that we can really look at with excitement and have depth and richness to them. And yeah, and the Pennsylvania Germans, when they adopted quilting, it was several decades, maybe close to 30 to 50 years after other immigrant communities in America had begun quilting. And the timing had mainly to do with the the economics of it. This was the time when It was becoming increasingly affordable and available to have these industrially produced, colorful, printed cotton calicos from textile mills that was, you know, making it so much more affordable to to take up quilting and work with printed textiles. And so that was really kind of the driving factor that motivated a lot of people to take up this, this new art form. Take us to Japan, then, because there are futon covers that are on display. Absolutely, yeah. When, 
when you come into the galleries, actually that's the first thing you'll see is the, the futon cover kind of greets you right there. And so the futon in Japan is different from what we call a futon in Western countries, the idea of a fold-out couch bed sort of thing. In Japan, it's actually a flat mattress mat on the floor, and you're able to stow it away during the day so your spaces stay multifunctional. And the futon cover we have is really beautiful. It's, it's resist-dyed and painted, which means that the maker of it would have used a paste made out of rice to cover certain areas of the textile that they wanted to remain white and then dyed it in indigo, which created this really rich, dark blue. And then when they washed off the paste resist, then they were able to, you know, maintain those white areas and paint them in, or they could do it, they could actually add the colored areas before immersing in the dye and protect them with that rice paste resist. So it's really exciting to have something with that kind of intricate technique, especially with we have so many needlework objects in the exhibit to be able to show, you know, a dyeing and painting-based technique is really great. It would seem the concept of design applies across the board to these various pieces, from the simplest to the most complex. The idea of design was certainly brought to the fore in quilts from G's Bend, right? Alabama. Mm -hmm. And that was quite a sensation, best-selling books. And it was something that really caught people's imagination. Definitely. Yeah. So G's Bend is an African-American community in rural Alabama. And the women in this community have, have this really amazing quilting tradition that's largely based around improvisation and personal vision. So rather than following an established pattern, they'll really take a lot of liberties with it and give their own interpretation of it. And so you have these really amazing abstract compositions and fabric that are produced by women in this community. And so we have several quilts from G's Bend on view, actually in an accompanying exhibition called Roots that looks at different different aesthetics within American art and design and how interacting with kind of what we might call the mainstream American art world, what has been the kind of the aftermath of that for these communities and also for their their artwork, what is, you know, how we understand their art. And so G's Bend is one of the the groups that we're focusing on in that exhibition. We're seeing both two quilts, which are on loan from the Philadelphia Museum of Art, made by women of G's Bend. This is through the Art Bridges Terra Foundation initiative that we're a partner participant in. And then also several prints by the quilt makers, fine art prints. And so seeing how these women, because of their quilts, a collector, bringing them to the attention of scholars and museums, and then at the first museum exhibits in the early 2000s, you know, they really, as you said, they caught people's imaginations. Everyone was amazed by these really vibrant, exciting, asymmetrical compositions that these women had made, and that out of this publicity and newfound fame for these artists, these women had the opportunity then to work with a fine art print workshop and create these prints. 
And so it really raises, you know, these questions about boundaries between art versus craft and who, who is an artist and these really kind of interesting and fruitful issues to consider. There's quite a story involved in a Greek bed tent that you tell, because especially of the reconstruction of the tent that the museum was involved with. Oh, absolutely. Yes. So the museum, some of the textiles that we have that are really unique and exciting include embroideries from the Aegean Islands. And so so in these islands, there were traditions from about the Middle Ages through the early 1800s where women would prepare an entire suite of household textiles as part of their dowry. And that was kind of, you know, this idea of textiles as valued possessions. This was wealth that they were bringing to their new household to set up, to be able to set up a new home. And so among these, the largest and most exciting textiles that they were embroidering with their female relatives in preparation for marriage were textiles for the bed because of the large scale. And so we have several textiles from different islands in the Aegean and including what you're talking about, the bed tent pieces. And so bed tents often don't survive entirely in one piece. Um, And so we have several fragments of a bed tent that we have reconstructed basically to show kind of what the original context would look like. And so bed tents, this was a tradition on some of the Dodecanese islands where you had this tent that it was basically kind of a canopy that would encircle the bed of the married couple. And since they were living in a one-room house in this, in this period in the past, this was, you know, something that provided privacy and some warmth and shelter and a sense of a separate space. And so we, have, we had one large panel that was essentially like a side piece from the tent and then one that is the panel that would go over the doorway. And so we were able to use photographs of these textiles to order reproduction fabric that has the same, basically we reproduced our own textile fragment on new yardage of fabric and then use that fabric to reconstruct the rest of an approximation of what a bed tent would look like. And so, yeah, I think that's a really exciting and inviting work within the exhibition. And it's just great to be able to, you know, to bring this to life and really show people much more evocatively than just putting this flat on a wall and saying that it used to be in this tent context. And you told the newspaper that it actually gave you a sense of a maker, that you could have a concept that was more than just intellectual, of someone really making this piece. Definitely. I think for me with this exhibition, one thing that I've really enjoyed is just getting a better sense of textile history and in particular thinking a lot about the meaning of textiles in a pre-industrial context where you were having to grow and process the fiber, which is an enormous amount of labor, to spin the fiber and then hand weave it. And then after that, then you're ready to embroider it. So it's all these steps just to get to that phase and having so much respect for the high level of skill and craftsmanship for these, for these textiles and many of the embroidered textiles in the show 
women were counting the threads in the fabric to create the patterns, much like women, like you might do today with a counted cross-stitch kit, except instead of canvas where, you know, it's relatively easy to count, it's on actual fabric where you have to count the threads. And so there's just this really high level of artistry and thought and care that's put in. And it was really exciting, in particular for the bed tent, since that was a textile that we spent a lot of time working with the original textiles and studying them just being that close to the object and getting a sense, a chance to have that kind of close observation and notice all these details, you know, just really gave me more of a sense of kind of the life of this textile and the meanings that it, it would have had at a different point in its life. And now, now it's at a museum where, you know, we get to see it. I'm sure that there are all kinds of soft colors and maybe brighter colors on the futon cover, depending on the age of the textile and the original colors and whether they faded or not. But is there a piece that has a color that just sends you, you just say, oh, oh, look at that peach. Yeah, I think for me, the the Suzanis are just really striking and exciting graphic pieces to look at. These are, in some ways, these are kind of similar to the Aegean embroideries. They're from a different region of the world. They're from Central Asia, but it's a similar tradition where young women were preparing a suite of embroidered textiles as part of their dowry. And so Suzani's were the largest and most elaborate textiles in this dowry. And they were actually, they were multi-purpose, so they could be used for, for bedding or they might be used as wall hangings or for other purposes in the home. But, it, you know, they're just so wonderful and vivid and exciting. It, it was just such a great opportunity to have them on view that we thought they were strongly enough related to the bed that we should include them. And they just have these really brilliant reds, um, bright red floral motifs, kind of abstract graphic, and they're just incredible. Basically, it's basically like an eight-foot-tall textile, and the entire surface is embroidered. So they're just really rich and exciting to look at. I drew you aside into the Roots exhibition for G's Band, but there are more than just textiles in that exhibition. So fill us in a little bit more about Roots. Sure, yeah. This exhibition, Roots, so G's Band is one of the artistic traditions that's featured. And the other two that the exhibition examines are Shaker Furniture and works by artists from the Sioux and Haida indigenous groups. And so this idea of looking at how traditions have interacted with the American art world and inspired new works of art kind of has different storylines within these different, these different traditions and groups. We talked about G's Bend and how this kind of transition from being quilters in this relatively isolated community to starting, many of these women have, have started to see themselves as artists and to take on that identity for themselves. In the case of the Shakers, Shaker furniture is known for being just very simple and elegant and having a lot of thought put into the design and form. And there's also a spiritual element to it as well with the idea that Shakers thought that all work is a form of worship. And so taking, you know, taking care and being diligent in your furniture making could be a form, in that way, a form of prayer. 
And so thinking about this furniture and its original meaning to when in the 30s through the you know, mid-20th century, it starts to come into museum collections and really come to the attention of the art world because this sort of simple, plain, minimal form really fits with modern design and what was trendy at that time. And museums and artists and collectors wanted to say, look, it's not just Europeans who know about modern design. There's this whole archive of modern design within an American tradition. And so the exhibition points out that museums collecting and upholding of Shaker furniture in that context is part of what's enabled artists today to draw inspiration from Shaker traditions. And it includes some works by studio craft artists from the 60s through, through the present day who have really drawn inspiration from the spirituality of the Shakers as well as the, you know, the visual form of their furniture. How are the two different shows positioned in the museum? Yeah, they're actually, they're in neighboring galleries, so you can definitely kind of cross back and forth, which is really wonderful. It's extraordinary to hear the range, as we've been talking, Claire, about the range of cultures you have. Is there some way to explain that? Is it collectors who have given you what they've brought from traveling the world or been amassing, and that's how you have such a wide range? Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question. So a lot of the museum's textile collection originally was basically established with a large gift from Kate Fowler Merle Smith. And so she was a collector of textiles in the early 20th century. She was actually related to the inventor of the Reaper Thresher machine. And so because of that, her family was quite wealthy and she had the means to travel as a young woman. This is, you know, in the early 20th century prior to World War I, travel internationally. And she was just really passionate about textile traditions and preserving examples of different textiles from around the world. And so she traveled widely and collected. She also bought from dealers in the United States and, and really collected throughout her life in the different places she lived and, and worked. And so... So that's, that's kind of the heart of this exhibition is with, with her collection and her vision, really. I think she would probably be really excited about this exhibition and the way that it features so many different cultural traditions. And we also have several large gifts of American textiles and particularly Pennsylvania German textiles as well that have just really broadened the scope and allowed us to tell kind of this regional story, but also link it to a more global story at the same time. I had one more thing I'd love to add, which is just earlier you asked about colors. And one thing with this exhibition is that there are really a lot of bright and vibrant colors, you know, in terms of the textiles that we chose. A lot of them are really in good shape and have a lot of their original color. And you know, there's a sense of a lot of texture. One of the other Greek island embroideries is really fascinating when you look at it. It's all embroidered in one color of silk thread, but because they ran the stitches in different directions, it looks like two different colors because of the way the light catches the thread. And yeah, and then the other thing I just wanted to mention in terms of color was with this exhibition in terms of the design, we really wanted to go pretty bold and 
kind of I think when when people think of textile exhibitions, you often have this association of kind of dark colors and, you know, it's historical, so it's not very bright or just feels very traditional, like dull red, dull blue, dull green. And so at this show, we really went with this vibrant orange coral color as our accent that actually picks up a lot of colors from the textiles and I think really just sets the the stage for dispelling expectations about, you know, what you think a textile exhibition is or what historical textiles look like and gets you ready to think about all these different cultural traditions and this kind of amazing diversity of, of textile arts that we have within this gallery. Claire McCree, assistant curator at the Allentown Art Museum, speaking about Sleep Tight that has just opened at the museum, documenting the place bedding has had in our culture and cultures around the world and history. The show will run through September 12th, and there will also be a chance to see Roots, Sources for American Art and Design, also running through September 12th, and that includes, as we heard, the G's Bend samples, the quilts, and also Plains and Northwest Coast Native American works and Shaker furniture. For more information, all the details you'll need for your visit are available online. AllentownArtMuseum.org AllentownArtMuseum.org The hours, COVID protocols, directions to get there, The museum is located at 31 North 5th Street in Allentown, and it's Sleep Tight and Roots, and they will be up through September 12th at the Allentown Art Museum. For more information on the web, allentownartmuseum.org.